Welcome back to Exodus. After three weeks away, we're returning to our study of God's rescue plan revealed to us in the book of Exodus. Last we heard, we were in the middle of chapter 4. Moses had received his marching orders and, staff in hand, was about to return to Egypt. But as we pick it up there, we run into a few surprises. But first, let's begin with prayer. Lord, you call us to follow you, though we don't know all the journey will hold. We do know its destination, and we know that you go with us, our great defender, our strength, and our redeemer. When the journey is difficult, help us to look to you. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 18. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. An 80-year-old shepherd, his wife and their two sons and their donkey, on their way to confront one of the most powerful men on the earth. What's wrong with that picture? But in Moses' hand was the staff of God. An Egyptian, Egyptian's pharaoh's staff was a symbol of his power and his authority. Moses carries the staff of God. So make no mistake, the upcoming showdown is not just between two nations and their leaders. It's between those who would oppose God's people. And remember, Satan is always behind that. It's between those who would oppress God's people and God himself. God does not want Moses to have any delusions about what lies ahead, so he forewarns him about the grim events that are about to happen. Verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Here's the first surprise. What's the first thing God wants Moses to say to Pharaoh? Israel is my son. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You see, God is not some angry tyrant. That is the truth Luther discovered, which we will celebrate this weekend. And he is not some impersonal force, Star Wars style. No, he's a person. More than that, he is a father. And more than that, he is our father. Paul said it in the letter to the Galatians. When we were baptized, God adopted us as his own. And as Professor Lessing writes in his commentary, he is never moody. He never wakes up in the morning wondering, 
Who am I going to zap today? His love is always the same. As we heard earlier, he is the great I am, Yahweh, the constant one, the God of free and faithful grace. And he is almighty. He can handle any problem we bring to him. When my children were little and they brought me their bike with the chain off or the handlebar out of alignment, I could generally fix it. When the pet hamster died, I couldn't fix that. But we have a father with unlimited resources and unlimited power. And unlike so many fathers in this broken world, our father is there for us, there to defend us and protect us. God is saying here to Pharaoh, and ultimately in the hearing of his people, Pharaoh, you have messed with the wrong people. You have messed with my sons and daughters, and now you will have to deal with me. God lays it out for Moses how this will all turn out. Pharaoh's not going to be moved by the first nine plagues. It will take the death of his son. God says, tell Pharaoh Israel is my son. That's the first surprise. And here's the second, verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Whoa! God is about to kill Moses? Wasn't Moses doing, finally, wasn't Moses doing what God had asked? And God is about to kill him? What's happening here? Verse 25. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let Moses alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Here's a question. Does God hold his chosen leaders to a higher or lower standard than he holds everyone else? Well, here in Exodus 4 is your answer. God had given his Old Testament people the covenant of circumcision. Circumcising boys hopefully usually as babies, was to be a sign, a symbol that they were God's people. So why didn't Moses circumcise his sons when they were born? We're not told. Maybe living in the land of Midian, he thought it was not important. Or maybe he thought in Midian they would be thought of as strange and different. Or maybe Zipporah didn't want the boys circumcised. Whatever the reason was, God made it clear here that he would not tolerate Moses ignoring his will for his people. Which brings us to this bizarre incident. Did God strike Moses with some illness which left him incapacitated and near death? Well, we're, we're not given the details, but Zipporah saves her husband's life by doing what Moses should have done, circumcising her son. Then, and this is where it gets strange, she takes the bloody foreskin and touches Moses' feet with it. She seems none too happy about the whole thing because she calls him a bridegroom of blood to her. Why this need to touch Moses with, touch Moses with blood? Perhaps it was a foreshadowing of something to come. At the Passover, the Israelites would be saved by the blood of a lamb. God rescues us through blood, through the sacrifice of his son. 
Perhaps this bloody incident was a reminder to Moses and his family that it is blood that will cover over our sins. Though a great hero of faith, Moses, like every one of us, stands in need of the reconciling blood of Jesus. Verse 27. The Lord said to Moses, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he sent, so Aaron met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. You remember, God had promised Moses that he would send Aaron to help Moses, a promise the Lord now keeps. Together, Aaron and Moses meet with the elders, and you're thinking, this is all going to go pretty smoothly. Well, you would be thinking wrong. Chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, The people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. This is what the Lord says. And Pharaoh's response, who is the Lord? It was not so much a question as an expression of contempt, a taunt. He's not a God worth knowing. And so Pharaoh is throwing down the gauntlet. Bring on this God of yours. Unlike earlier pharaohs who feared that the Israelites would become too numerous and so overpower the Egyptians, this pharaoh seems only concerned with their work output. He doesn't care about these people. He only cares about the number of bricks they can produce. As foolish as pharaoh is being, picking a fight with God, He is, from a human point of view, pretty shrewd in what he does next. He comes up with a strategy to, at least attempt, to drive a wedge between the Israelites and Moses, and so between the Israelites and the Lord. Verse 6. That same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people. 
so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go out and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble for use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work of required of you each day, just as you had when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? The straw was used to make the bricks more stable and stronger. Up to this point, Egyptians had supplied the straw. Now the Israelites had to gather it themselves, and the quota of bricks stayed the same, meaning their work just got a whole lot tougher. You can imagine the pressure this put on the Israelite foremen. How did the Israelites respond to this unfortunate turn of events? Well, not well. Verse 15. Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten. But the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. Literally a stench to him. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So how did the Israelites respond? They blamed Moses and Aaron for this added cruelty. You put the sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. They seem to have forgotten that they are slaves in Egypt, that their sons had been murdered, that their lives had become an endless monotony of brick-making. No, when things don't immediately go their way, they complain. It will, sadly, become a pattern. So here we are at the end of chapter 5. Pharaoh's not about to let Israel go. And there's mutiny among the Israelites. I'm guessing Moses is longing for the days of tending sheep. Like Moses, we too can become discouraged when life doesn't seem to be going according to the plan. We wonder, God, is this how you envisioned everything turning out? Because it's not what I was thinking. We need to remember God's promise through his apostle Paul, this time in the letter to the Romans. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Notice Paul doesn't say all things are always going to be good. No, he says God is working for our good. The plan, it's still in place. God is still working for our eternal deliverance. Just as he was still at work, despite the outward circumstances for these Israelites, 
He was still at work for the deliverance of his firstborn son, Israel. Once again, I want to credit my sources in this study, Professor Reed Lessing's devotional commentary on Exodus and Professor Ernst Wentland's commentary in the People's Bible Series have been a great help. Next week, Moses complains to God, You didn't do what you said you were going to do. You haven't delivered your people. And God answers, You can trust me. Why? Because my name is I Am. Yahweh. Join us then. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.